Welcome to Media, Culture, and Why We Feel Like Crying So Much. Each week, we use media theory to make sense of our everyday media habits, practices, and experiences. I'm Stephanie Chai. And I'm Grant Latanzi. I was in this interview, and I thought it wasn't going well. This was for that private equity job I was telling you about, so I... I, in the, in the interview, she was like, she brings up how crazy the work hours are. And I'm like, yeah, I can't do it. So I think we should just end the interview here. And she's super cool about it. And she's like, well, just so you know, for your own feedback, you were doing great. And you had a really great like communication style. And I'm sure you'll, you know, find a good job. And I was like, wow, that is so different than how I thought this was going. So I really have lost all faith in my ability to interpret how well I interview. But oh, anyways, no. I know. Anyways, I thought it went pretty good. He made it sound like it would be, it could be a couple of weeks until I hear back. So I'll probably follow up this week. And I am very close to an offer from another job. I don't know if it'll pan out or not, but I know I, I think it's down to two people. So that's where I'm at, but kind of a lull, not like, like kind of waiting to see if anything shakes out with this and then I'll be back to the drawing board, I guess. Uh, yep. But <laughs> What about you? So you've graduated. Yes. <laughs> so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. How are you feeling? Pretty good. Like a little surreal. Like this is the first day where it's like, okay, I don't have anything I have to do for school. Like, because that is done. So that's been really refreshing, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what do you, what now? Yeah, I'm still working for Candles during the summer, so I have, like, a little grace period to apply to jobs and find a job. I'm hoping if everything works out, hopefully starting a new job in August, that's the timeline. I don't know if it's going to work out like that, but that is my hope. And so just applying to jobs here and there, trying to kind of be picky with what I'm applying for, what I'm spending my time writing cover letters and updating my yeah. resumes for, and, like, appreciating this luxury that I have yeah totally oh shit what was I gonna say this is gonna happen a lot this episode I get spacey at the end of the day uh <laughs> nope gone nope. this is like kind of weird like it's 5 p.m on a Monday that we're recording this I like, know it is weird it's not the right like vibe for it <laughs> <laughs> I'll set if I see any jobs that might interest you. I'll send them your way. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. How was graduation? It was so fun. It was so fucking early. Ah, <laughs> uh, I know. Oh, What'd you do God. the rest of the day? Yeah, so we had that reception, like, right after. And, like, a lot of people actually congregated there. So, like, took a lot of photos, ate some food. Like, at the had... car barn? No, at, like, the Levy Esplanade or whatever that word is. Is that the one on the hill by the uh, student center? Sure. Overlooking to... the football field? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we had to walk oh. there after graduation. That's and a like, cool spot. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Great view for pictures. And like Professor Turner got to meet my mom and my brother. And like that was fun. <laughs> yeah. So we did that. And then my friends hosted like a little like graduation lunch. So 
had like a sushi platter, some fruit, some watermelon, had the first watermelon of the summer, which was so good. I also just had the first watermelon of the summer and it was such a good watermelon to start off. I was so pleased. We love this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that was the, and then I crashed. I crashed so hard. It was such a long day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It was so hot at my graduation. Oh my God. I was miserable. I was sweating. I could not wait to leave. (laughs) Oh no. I know. We had such a beautiful day. It was like uh, 70 degrees, like kind of overcast. And then it like, during the reception, it lightened up a little bit. That's awesome. Yeah. Very nice. The first graduation where I wasn't sweating. <laughs> yeah. Ser- they are always, it's always a hot one. My college graduation, I didn't have it. It was canceled. So uh, th- that was my CCT graduation was kind of my first. Yeah. Except for high school. Okay, so uh, we haven't recorded in a couple weeks, and I still haven't finished this book I started, which we're going to talk about today, but I think that's actually good, because maybe we can wrap it up as like the warm-up next week. Mm -hmm. This week, we're talking about Speaking into the Air, A History of the Idea of Communication by John Duran Peters. John Duran Peters has come up on this podcast before. He wrote The Marvelous Clouds. And I think two other books. And he, last time I said he was at Iowa, which is where he was. But now he, I learned that he's at Yale uh, in the English department. And that's his background. He's an English guy, but he writes like communication and media theory. Uh, And so this book on the back, if they have reviews like books do. And uh, right off the bat from James Carey, who also has come up on this podcast just the last episode we recorded, was talking about his book, Communication as Culture. James Carey read this book in 1999, and this was his reaction. An absolutely splendid book, one of the very best things I have read in recent years. I thought I was likely to admire this work, but I was unprepared for the depth, subtlety, and discrimination of Peter's argument. It is a deep argument, and it's nuanced, and it's honestly like, I was, I was expecting it to be as readable as The Marvelous Clouds, which is a really sort of like poetic, like, like really, really rich historical scientific account of media and different types of media throughout history. And this one is much more metaphysical and theory heavy. Not that the other one wasn't, but it's really, it's really intellectual and a lot of history of ideas and like you know, like there's a whole interpretation of Plato and Socrates and like, then we're, we're walking through St. Augustine's work and now we're dealing with, I think Nietzsche comes up a couple times. Like it's like dealing with some pretty, pretty tough intellectual work. Uh, so it's taken me a really long time to read and I've tabbed some, uh, everything in green is stuff that I thought could be interesting on the pod, but this book is really it's tough, but it's, I think it's totally worth it. And so, yeah, we're going to get into it, speaking into the air. And it's also interesting because it sort of is seeing, like, it, the internet was a thing in, in when it was written. And so Peters has an awareness of that, but 
he's really seen full force telephone and television and radio. And so kind of like James Carey, he's sort of in that same boat, but he is writing later and he continues. He's still active and James Carey, I think is deceased. So I'm just going to go in order and we'll talk about the things I tabbed. We're dealing with communication as a concept. And when you're dealing theoretically, philosophically, whatever, with a concept, defining it becomes really, really messy business. And so in the introduction, he's not really defining communication, but he's sort of hinting at like our implicit idea of communication in the 20th and 21st century and how that's developed. Communication is a registry of modern longings. The term evokes a utopia where nothing is misunderstood, hearts are open, and in expression is uninhibited. Communication is a rich tangle of intellectual and cultural strands that encodes our time's confrontations with itself. Let's stop right there, and there's more to the quote. But he's speaking historically. He's saying our time, it's the dawn of the new millennium when this book came out. We are confronted by this idea of communication and it seems to be catching on and it's leaking into our vocabulary. Like we can say now, there seems to be a disconnect in what we're saying and that makes sense. And we start to appropriate technical metaphors for information breakdown to communication failure. And so you start to see how this sort of notion that we have of communicating or not communicating, like it's like, am I getting what's in my head into your head through words or not? That's the idea. And so he sees this sort of mythos behind the idea of communication of like perfect communication or like God-like, angel-like, he says, communication where we can communicate without words and without bodies, just soul to soul. Thoughts? Was it in 505 that we had that diagram of what communication was, of just the very standard, like, person, message, person? Yes. Yeah, you're talking about, like, a, a communication model? Yeah. Like, that diagram that people usually present to us when we're starting to learn about this. Is that mm -hmm. fitting into this context? Yeah, I think so, because there is, there's a split between sender and receiver or subject and object. Yeah, yeah. And that's like the bedrock that we're dealing with here is when you're communicating, you're dealing with the fundamental schism between self and other. Yeah. What I wrote down was assumed when you say like, is what's in my head getting to you is like, you're making assumptions about how the other person is receiving this. And that has a whole lot of consequences and like texts and emails and shit. Exactly. And, yeah. and in face to face, because I, as we're dialoguing, I especially, yes, over all the mediums, but in all different ways, as we're talking face to face or over text, uh, I, in my head, have an idea of what I need to say to share what I want to share with you, Steph, specifically. And in doing that, I am acting on my idea that is Steph, not 
Steph herself. And so it's sort of freaky. <laughs> like I'm, <laughs> and it's like he often uses ideas of, of ghosts or spirits. And even for a while in the book talks about the history of like mediums and spiritualism and okay. like psycho spiritual research as like it coincided with all these communication technologies in kind of a weird way of like, because if you think about it, radio is so and television are so often literally messages from the dead. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's a human presence or voice without a body. It's very ghostly, kind of spooky. And like he draws a parallel in a really kind of compelling way. That's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's finish this quote. So he's saying, communication is a rich tangle of intellectual and cultural strands. I love the way this guy writes, by the way. A rich tangle of intellectual and cultural strands that encodes our time's confrontations with itself. He goes on. To understand communication is to understand much more. An apparent answer to the painful divisions between self and other, private and public, and inner thought and outer word. The notion illustrates our strange lives at this point in history. It is a sink into which most of our hopes and fears seem to be poured. I think that's basically what we just said. Mm -hmm. Okay, should we go on? Mm -hmm. Another thing I want to say about this book is very often he's he's dialoguing at length with old texts or or groups of thought or schools of thought, I should say. And it, it is difficult to attribute what ideas to what person. So it might be hard to keep track. But really, like, the idea itself is what we're dealing with. It doesn't really matter how we get at it. We're skipping ahead, like, 50 pages. But everything that's happened so far can be summarized by this. Augustine and Locke. That's St. Augustine and John Locke. Both provide articulate defenses, but with very different purposes, of ideas foundational to the modern notion of communication. And those foundational ideas are... The interiority of the self and the sign as an empty vessel to be filled with ideational content. And okay. it's, yeah, <laughs> does that, does that make sense? So, so let's break it down. He's saying there's sort of these, these underlying ideas that are really essential to how we use communication in our day-to-day -day and in academic contexts and in like organizational contexts too. We're always talking about communication. People have communication departments, communication managers. Like this is an idea that we use all the time. And underneath that idea, there is first the interiority of the self. I have something called self and it is only me, mine alone, and it is it is in some ways wrapped up in my carnal form. In other ways, it's not, because when I die, I leave behind traces in many literal and, and metaphorical ways. But nonetheless, when we're talking about communicating, the idea of getting what's on my mind onto your mind, we are talking about having myself having to situate myself in relation to another. 
if it's sounding like Hegel, he dialogues with <laughs> Hegel a lot in this book. Part of the reason it took take me so long to read. Hegel is so hard to read. It's so hard to read, yeah. Because um, he doesn't give a fuck if you understand it. Like, yeah. he literally doesn't care at all. <laughs> he has, like, 20 commas in one sentence. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> um, so, we have that idea. So, we have the idea that myself is... Uh, it's kind of related to my body, but it's also related to my experiences. My experience of going through life is mine alone. I'm the only person who's experienced that. And so myself is sort of like, it's inner. But we can see if we think back to like pre-civilization, how there might be different ideas of self that might might have different ideas of communication attached mm-hmm. to them. He then goes on and he says, in its everyday usage, communication, quote unquote, rests squarely on such conceptions. Each of us has a treasure chest of thoughts and wishes uniquely our own. When we express ourselves, we trust private self stuff to public symbol proxies. That's a great one. What are you, what's on your mind? What are you thinking as I'm blabbering? I feel like all the quotes that you have said we have touched in other episodes like we talked about meaning making we talked about emojis and memes and how those are shared like understandings and like shared text and like the idea of the self and yeah yeah and I think um meaning making is going to come up here in just a sec like I remember there's some really good questions about that in this book Mm, I'm going to skip that. He's talking about Augustine. Augustine, Augustine, Augustine. Man, this book really does cover a lot of ground. It's like Augustine, and now we're talking about Hegel and Marx. Okay, so, uh, yeah, we're going to deal with Hegel outright. Perfect. We're talking about his idea of spirit, which is, I think it's pronounced Geist. That was the original German, I believe. Uh, I'm just going to say spirit, though, because that's easier. Spirit has both a material and a spiritual form. But there is nothing ghostly about spirit. Hegel clearly places it in cultural forms. The higher accomplishments of spirit, law, the state, art, poetry, religion, and philosophy do exist in material form in texts, cities, communities, stone, paint, language, etc. But they do not exist as spirit without being recognized as having a significance that transcends their embodiment. Yep. Spirit, then, consists both in the material inscriptions of culture and in the embodied community of interpreters. Cool. Yeah. Moving on. Like, yep. <laughs> There's nothing else to say to that. Yeah. He's. <laughs> yeah. It, it's almost like a beauty in the eye of a behold in the eye of the beholder thing. So from what I remember about Hegel and like recognition and all of that. Mm-hmm. Recognition and communication and be like you and I sitting here and being like, 
I like I see you I understand you and like being recognized the act of being recognized not even recognizing but like being recognized is so big yeah yes it is and it's big for Hegel because that is how the self gets kind of wrapped up into it yeah and also this projection of significance of I'm trying to think of a specific example but I'm not coming up with one but like the, the saying of like one man's trash is another man's like treasure like mm-hmm. your projected significance onto something and like recognition of that is like the shared right. shit like <laughs> right and then that's that's yeah and now we're getting into meaning because yeah. it's recognition of that together is what a thing means yeah so meaning for Hegel can dwell, this is another quote, can dwell in things as well as people, in matter as well as minds. The 19th century would become increasingly familiar with expressions of the human spirit separated in time and space from the bodies of their makers. Mm. Photographic images, telegraph signals, voices from the phonograph, telephone, and wireless and moving images. I find that so interesting. That like, meaning, we, we spend all this time in philosophy, social science, wherever, humanities, thinking about how we make meaning. And then there's other, there's other fields like about what things mean. And when you look into the idea of communication, you really start to see how messy meaning is. It's a lot messier than it seems. It's so complex. It's invariably complex. Like there's, there's, it boggles my mind. It, yeah. it it really does. I don't know if talking about form is related to this or if I'm just like thinking of something else. But in talking about being, this is not the word they use, but being immortalized by like photographs and like moving images and all of that. And the quote that you mentioned earlier of communication reflecting this point in history. Mm-hmm is fascinating because as we go through time, we see different forms of communication. Pen to paper writing, to the telephone, to texting, to now like emojis. That reflection of history, that reflection of like shared, this this thought is losing its steam, but- <laughs> No, I think you got there. I, th- I, I got what you're saying. Um... Yes. It seems when there's a new, like, meaning, new area to make meaning, like, well, how are we going to use these emojis? Or how are we going to use all these gifts we have now? People are pretty quick, pretty quick to whip something up. And it just sort of, like, happens. And it's always moving. Like, meaning is a moving target, I feel yeah. like. When you have this sort of 
mind to mind or like this need to get into language or in some medium communication, you're dealing with separation of space. I can only use my voice to talk to you so far until I need a microphone or a telephone. But we, we should not take for granted that those technologies exist. Um, so thinking about the first uh, instances of instantaneous communication, like the telegram, where there's not really a perceivable gap between sender and receiver. And it's as if you are being talked to in real time from hundreds of miles away. I think it was mm -hmm. Baltimore to New York or something was the first telegram. So this is a quote about that. For the first time in human history, acuity of vision and hearing were no longer the limit to instantaneous remote contact. The only limits were the extent of the telegraph lines and hence of capital. Didn't see that last part coming, did I you? I did not. <laughs> yeah, because he's like, look how cool this communication is. Like, we can do this. And be like, oh, it is only enabled by industry. Yep. Did I ever talk about the electricity on here? Back in whenever electricity was becoming a thing, there were obviously private companies who did not want to give more rural areas electricity because it this is drawing on something that we talked in for, like during class and I will hopefully find the source and link it because that will do a better job of explaining this but they like wouldn't give electricity to the rural places because it would mess with their like revenue or something like that it was like more work for them or something and then we're relating that to internet access of like oh yeah we pay more for like better internet all that shit hold on i access is designed or like lack of access is designed is mm, mm -hmm. what i'm trying to say yeah definitely and yeah and often when organizations are motivated by maximizing profit yeah they need a little kick in the pants yeah. to to uh ensure access to what's a, i mean the internet is nothing short of a utility at this point yeah like come on it's crazy same with and electricity we like, had the same conversation conversation exactly. with electricity and, and oh and by the way how many of these rural communities don't have doctors available and yeah. they can use high-speed internet to do telehealth and like go get to access to better health care yeah like stupid um okay also, in that same paragraph we were just reading from, he ties it into James Carey, because James Carey wrote extensively on the history of the telegram. I thought this was an interesting kind of food for thought. In 19th century usage, media often meant the five senses, and philosophical skepticism about sensation is a clear forerunner of later skepticism about the reality of the images and reports of the media. So there's two things I want to point out about this. When we conceive the five senses as media, 
it's sort of like I have this inner self that is brought stimuli through my five senses and I use that to construct a working notion of the world in my in my frontal lobe. So in that sort of same way that the senses facilitate and and sort of put limit um, what we perceive and what we interpret, that's what mass media systems like broadcast television do. And there you see it's sort of a spectacle type thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thoughts on that? Just one big sigh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So this is the like, we're in the weeds of meaning. Right. Ready. Now. So we're talking about communication. We're talking about the idea of meaning. And there's a problem. Things mean things. But they don't mean the same things to everybody all the time. So how do things take on different value? Right? That's sort of the question that we're dealing with here. Things take on different meanings. And it's sort of like we have some meanings that might be private and some that are shared in bridges between the two. We're talking about just the basic fact, things mean different things to different people. And um, people uh, have this weird practice of sentimental value. And it's sort of an inroad into this. So let's read. Bodies are objects of immense value that when detached from their proper setting are almost utterly useless. My glasses and my eyes, my shoes and my feet, my notebooks and my brain. To me, these things are almost infinitely precious. To almost everyone else, they are almost infinitely worthless. The mm. disproportionate value of the body to its owner and to anyone else is the firmest proof that not all meanings are public and general. Okay, I think I have just two more. Uh, so he's talking about radio and like kind of different gimmicks that sprung up when broadcast radio was really a thing. Marriages were performed over the telephone as over the radio, an obligatory coming of age event for each new medium of distance communication. And I thought that was spot on. Like... I've like I've seen like people get married over video chat. People get married over telephone. People yeah. get married over VR. Like people, it it always it that's always like uh, oh wow like now we're doing this with the media. They had our graduation on Facebook Live or live streamed via Facebook for mm. those who cannot attend physically. Yeah, which I mean, at Georgetown was probably a lot. There's so many international yeah. students. Yeah, yeah. This is it. Yeah, this is where I want to end um, because I really now that I'm kind of revisiting the book, I'm noticing like it really is meaning that yeah. is at the heart of this issue, like meaning and self mm -hmm. and other. Um, okay. The question of who owns meaning has been raised in literary theory over the past quarter century. The reader's creativity, the author's intent, the text itself, 
the interpretive community, the canon, or the transaction of reader and text? Or is meaning available only for lease? This question, however, is much bigger than theory. It is a question on which life and death hang in the mediated world. The question asks, does nature speak? Does God speak? Does fate speak? Do bureaucracies speak? Or am I just making all this up? Where do projections of myself end? And where do authentic signals from the other begin? I love that. I love, so, this is so relatable to me. Like, am I making this up? Like, is this yeah. how it works? Or is this just in my head? Is this just me? Yeah. And I've honestly, like, lately, and I think I'm, here's my takeaway for the day. Everyone do this. If you're not sure about what something means, or if your, like, perception or awareness of something is, like, accurate, ask. Be like, am I the, I see it, is this, I see it this way, is this how you see it? And ask in earnest, because, like, that's how I get some really great questions in my day-to-day. But also, like, it every time, it brings attention to meaning. Like, we share meaning enough to do business, but that's about it. That's fucking insane. <laughs> that's such a good quote. I love the question of who owns meaning. Great, great. Really great. So yeah, I'm gonna, I'll finish the book soon. I don't know. I've been busy with uh, Breath of the Wild 2. It is so fun. Uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, what are your, what is your response? Is that, again, like, like I said, this book was not what I expected it to be. It's really, really tough. And it's even harder, like, because I say, we always say on this podcast that we want to make it accessible to a wider audience. But with this book, it's not supposed to be for a wider audience. It's for an audience that's familiar with Hegel and Althusse and whoever else comes up. Like, it's, like St. Augustine, I've never read. I know. St. Yeah. Augustine, like. Yeah, well, well, why would you read, like, Renaissance? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Christian theology. Like, this, that's another thing about John Duran Piedras is he... There's a lot of stuff where I'm like, I'll just take your word for it because yeah. I have no idea what who you're talking about or what these things mean. Like, he talks about Kafka at length. He talks about who's the guy that wrote the sociological imagination. Uh, Cooley, Charles Horton Cooley, I think. Uh, he talks about him at length. He talks about, he does Hegel and Marx. He does St. Augustine. He does Plato. He does Socrates. Like, it's Locke. like... Holy cow. Yeah, John yeah. Locke. Uh, John Locke in John dialogue Locke. with yeah. St. Augustine. <laughs> Wasn't expecting uh, that. Yeah, it's uh, James Carey, Harold Innes, like Fred, Friedrich Pigi, um The Good Crawford School. It's, I know. Good it's, for him. It's, I really don't know how someone can read that much in a lifetime. And really. put it together in one book. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I will say sometimes... When Peters is writing, I'm reading it and I'm like, it feels like you're kind of just saying like, look what I can do because I can't really <laughs> take this and run with it in some, t- some ways. I can't use this to generate new research or more questions that might like be really plugged into the real world. In a lot of ways you can, yeah. but sometimes that's, I think that would be a pretty valid criticism. Yeah. 
so my takeaway takeaways are the first thing that we said about ourselves and like assumed interiority thank you yes that communication reflecting this point in history and something being recognized as being significant and a shit ton of meaning making Mm -hmm. if i can sum up what you have told me into keywords those would be it yeah yeah (laughs) i think the thing that's hard is like when you start and i think this is why increasingly communication is its own discipline is because when you start to really think about it it just breaks down and it's really really not that it breaks down but it's like it gets so big that it you can't get your head around it like it's like i'm dealing with that's why that's why i like peter so much because it's like he brings in the theological spiritual and leans into that as like Mm -hmm. inherently a part of philosophy and science and so he brings it into how he writes theory and i think that's really cool yeah like i feel like if i am communicating about communication maybe we could call it meta communicating when i'm doing that activity It's one of the harder things to do. And it's like, if you've ever had an argument with a significant other, it often reach, in my experience, reaches a point where it's like, all right, there's a communication mm-hmm. issue here yeah. that we have to somehow work around. And that can be very yes. tricky because it has to deal with how we interpret things and it might even get into the same past, thing. Right. And it might get into our past experiences, yeah. traumas. Mm-hmm. And like, it's the same thing when you're dealing with communication conceptually. Like yeah. it gets really big. And I think when you're dealing with all that space, sometimes you need a Renaissance saint to help you, <laughs> to help shed some light. And sometimes you need, you know, like in his other book, when he talks about dolphin anatomy for a chapter as a way to like talk about media, it, you know, like, yeah, it's interesting. Any last thoughts? Nope okay well i think i've learned a new appreciation for our 10 a.m recording slot i know (laughs) (laughs) it's different doing it at this time it's hard i'm tired yeah i'm not as like good at putting words together (laughs) yeah 10 a.m is like right in my most focused window of the day yeah 5 p.m is probably like the least focused i could be for listening (laughs) make sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast and follow us on instagram at media culture and why pod where you can share your thoughts engage with us and we'll keep you updated on new episodes join us next week where we unpack another part of our media lives bye bye and we're done (laughs) all right all right yeah yeah yeah